Hey, what's up? My name is Steven, and I lead Avenue Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, along with my wife and an incredible team. We really have a desire to see people experience God's unconditional love, find their true identity in Christ, and live out their purpose. And we would love to connect with you. You can find us on all social media platforms simply by searching Our Avenue Church. You can also check us out online by going to OurAvenueChurch.com. We really pray that something in this message inspires and equips you to experience the way of life you were created to live in Christ. Enjoy. So we're in week two of a series called XOXO, which means hugs and kisses, hugs and kisses. Uh, It's that time of year, guys. Uh, and the powers that be put Super Bowl Sunday on Valentine's weekend. Come on. No, that was actually like crazy. Did anybody go to town yesterday? Like you would have thought you were the smart ones. You would have thought like it was Christmas or New Year's. It was just a madhouse. But we're in the middle of this series, XOXO. And last week, um, shared a tough, challenging, but yet encouraging message for those of us who are walking in the single season. And so I wanna encourage you, if you're single and missed last week, go back and listen to it. And if you have a friend or family member that is single, uh, share it with them, be an encouragement. But this week, I wanna talk about the fine print. For those of us that are married, (laughs) we may not have realized there was, guys, I hate to ask this, can somebody give me a bottle of water? Um, I woke up this morning sounding like Barry White, um, and as the day has went on, it's like I'm going through puberty again at 43. Uh, My voice (laughs) keeps changing. Oh, I'm sorry. You know, oh, Ella, thank you. Uh, No, okay. I don't know. This one doesn't have a lid. I'll drink this one too. Um. But, but here's, here's what I know is that uh, sometimes our marriages don't quite turn out the way we thought. And it's like some of them are really great, some of them are challenging, some of them is just like, well, it's different now 20 years later than what it was two years in. Can I get an amen, right? Um, because we're all growing, we're all changing, and so this is going to be a fun message, but it's also going to be a challenging message in that sometimes we don't always read the fine print of contracts and agreements that we sign, right? And uh, we, we have couples in here that have been married, you know, for less than a year, couples in here that have been married for 20, 30 plus years, and so we're all at different uh, places, and last night we had our couples night. Who was there? Man, it was, thank you, Dell and Francia and Andrew and Danielle for all the hard work. Um, we were literally expecting, like, man, if we can get 10 to 15 couples to show up, this would be a win. We had 23 couples sign up. Every seat was full. And so we, we had a good time um, seeing how much our couples know about each other. But let's jump into Genesis chapter 2. Uh, I'm won't, won't go there. We'll save you guys um, the heartache. Uh, Genesis chapter 2, and this is the first account that we see of marriage. It is after all of creation. Um, God has created man from the dust, and he looks and says that there is no helper, so he has a plan to make a helper, and he brings the animals. Those don't work out, and so God says that uh, he's going to make a better helper. That was a place for all the ladies to say Amen. It's going to make a better helper. Um, so we're going to pick up in verse 21. It says, so the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. 
verse 22 says, then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. And so a couple of things, really, really deep theological things I wanna, I wanna point out here. Um, one, it is a gift from God that men, we can sleep through anything. Because uh, you can see there that, that he caused man to go into a deep sleep, so much and so that he took out a rib and the guy never felt a thing. And so for those of you who give your husband a hard time that he's a deep sleeper, I'm one of those. It's a gift from God. And that's where all the men say, amen, right? And so but here's, here, here's, here's what we also know. So he goes on, he says, so God brings the woman to the man. And he says, at last, the man exclaims, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from the man. And this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united in one. Um, I want to acknowledge here that everything else in creation up to this point, God spoke into existence. God said, and that is what happened. But when it came to creating you and I and came to creating man and woman, he got his hands involved. And so you and I are created. We are a, scripture calls us a masterpiece. We are God's workmanship of his hands. He didn't just speak us into existence. He got involved and got his hands dirty. But not just you and I, our relationship with our spouse is also a product of God's hands. That, that, that he put the husband and the wife together, not just by speaking it into existence, but by placing them together with his hand. And it also kind of explains, you know, guys, we were, we were made from dirt, so we're pretty simple, um, able to sleep through anything. Women are a little more complicated and expensive because from a rib, right? Just kidding. But I want us to understand, I, I'm gonna be in trouble. I want us to understand that God's hand has placed man and woman together as husband and wife. And when you look at culture and society today, um, marriage gets a little bit of a bad rap. Um, God also put this, soci this societal law in place um, because he makes a statement in verse 24. This explains why man leaves his mother and father and becomes one with his wife. And there is a transition point in your relationship from childhood to adulthood where you leave your parents and you become one. And so what he's doing is, is he is putting in place a law or an order of things is that when you come into relationship with your spouse and you're married, that becomes the most important relationship in your life other than your relationship with Christ. Okay, that becomes the most, your spouse is the most important relationship in your life after your relationship with Christ. And, and, and we know that this relationship is more important than our friends. We know that this relationship should take precedent over our relationship with our jobs, with our hobbies, with our coworkers. But for those of us with kids, and this is where it gets challenging, that relationship also takes precedence over your relationship with your kids. Because at some point, God willing, those kids are gonna grow up and move out and you're gonna be still with your spouse. And so you want, amen, right, come on. We, we want, like at some point when that time comes and some of us are a little further ahead of the game than others, that when we're with our spouse, we want to still know that person, love that person, adore that person. And so some of the most challenging years of a marriage oftentimes may not be the first few years but it's the next several years that comes when you have kids. 
because then there's routine and you get caught in the routine and stuck in a rut and then there's responsibilities that you have to take care of with kids and bills and jobs and all this kind of stuff that your spouse just becomes another part of that. Can anybody relate to that, right? We enter those seasons and so, but what we have to know, and this is, you know, this is just kind of like when I was thinking about this, your spouse, they are your bae, right? Do you guys even know what that is? It's like, oh, uh, boo, dad joke. They are your bae. And, 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 and look, here's what bae stands for. Those of you who know, it's like before anything else. So your spouse, in case you need to take notes, your spouse is your bae. So if you're sitting beside your spouse, hey, you're my bae. Nope, not doing it. <laughs> you got to play along. But here's the thing. Like, like, honestly, they come before anything else. And we lose that sometimes the longer that we're married. And I'm, like, guilty, like, 10,000 times over. And so here's what, what, what we have to understand is, is they come before anything else. God says a, a man shall leave his, hus- his mother and father and become one with his wife. And anytime I'm doing like a series on this or a teaching, you always go and, and you look at divorce rates and marriage rates and all those kind of things. And, and everyone always preaches that, you know, 50% of marriages end in divorce, and, and that is true. Uh, but what you find out is that um, each time someone remarries, the percentage of that uh, ending in divorce goes up. Uh, but over the last several years, what we're finding is that divorce is actually on the decline, that, that, that fewer people are getting divorced. And so we, we celebrate that and we cheer that on, but here's what we're also finding. Fewer people are getting married. Fewer people are getting married. And so it was like, why? Like, this is something that, that God ordained, right? And, and look, there are some of us in this room, and we talked about this last week, that, that your gift may be to be single for a while. But for, for others of us, that, that, that is not our gift. Sometimes we are postponing and um, circumventing and avoiding marriage for selfish reasons. In the 1930s, um, 80% of the population was married. In the 1930s, 80% of the population was married. Um, today, 45 to 50% of the population is married. Um, big jump. And so thinking back to like the 1930s, 1940s, 1950s, like my great-grandmother got married at 15, 16 years old. My daughter just turned 16. She's not getting married for at least another 32 years, okay? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. And then my middle daughter is 11. She's got like another 50 years. I'm going to retire before she can get married. Um, but think about that. My great-grandmother was 15, 16 years old. Jennifer's grandparents um, actually snuck off to Mississippi to get married because you didn't have to have a parent's signature to get married. And so, but here's what happened. He became a pastor and spent the rest of his life in ministry. And so God redeemed that, right? But thinking about like my kids sneaking off to Mississippi somewhere getting married, I'm sneaking off and finding a shotgun, just saying, right? But, but in, in, in today's culture and society, marriage is, is almost seen as a stigma because what's happening is we are becoming more and more independent. I say independent, but that's really just a nice way of saying that we're becoming more and more selfish because marriage is hard. Commitment is hard. And the longer you're in it, sometimes the easier, like it doesn't get easier. It gets more difficult. I promise I'm gonna bring this up, okay? Um, 
because when you're married, and we said this last week, and Paul was telling all the, all the single ladies um, and all the single guys, all the single ladies, oh, your mind went there, didn't it? Um, to, to see it as a gift, right? To see singleness as a gift and that there is purpose in singleness in that we can learn to do what pleases the Lord. But when you're married, your attention and your responsibilities, there are all these other things to worry about. And and you can't just be concerned about yourself and being selfish and independent. You have to care for your spouse and even more so when kids come along. And so, so many folks are seeing marriage as as a contract and as temporary, Um, but this is what marriage is. Um, Marriage is a covenant relationship, and this is what we're going to talk about. It's a covenant relationship, not a contractual agreement. It's not something that you just sign, and when you're tired of it, you rip up. Okay, when when you are married, it is a covenant relationship, Um, and, and we see this term a lot in the Old Testament and the New Testament, this, this word covenant. And I, w- I would encourage you at some point, like when you're reading, like highlight or underline that word so you can see how many times covenant actually shows up. And, and this is the easiest way to explain what a covenant is, okay? Because it is a biblical word. It's not something that we really use um, by today's standards. We use agreement. We use the word contract. We use, you know, let's make a deal. But, but in, in scriptural times in in our faith families it is a covenant relationship and a covenant is this it is a permanent sacrificial relationship when you look at how covenant is used in scripture old testament and new testament from from abraham to jesus from moses to jesus and even after that it is used as a permanent sacrificial relationship um, and even more so in the Old Testament, anytime the word was used, it was often described as to cut a covenant, not necessarily to make a covenant, that almost like cutting a deal, but something way, way more serious is that you are cutting a covenant. And oftentimes there was blood involved to seal that covenant, to seal that relationship, that promise, that sacrifice. And if you, if you just look at a couple of examples in, in Genesis chapter 15, God makes a covenant with Abraham and says that, that I will make you the father of many nations. And in order to seal that covenant, God gave Abraham some directions and to take some animals and cut them in half and then lay the halves apart from each other so that there's an aisleway down between the two halves of the animals. And so you have this blood flow from one side of the carcass to the other, and then Abraham falls into this, this sleep and has a vision. And in the vision, he sees a smoking pot going up and down that pathway or that aisle. And what that was is that was the Lord's presence confirming that covenant. In one sense, saying, if I break this covenant, this is what should happen to me. And then you fast forward to the New Testament, and we see Jesus and Matthew and Luke and John during the, the, what we call the Last Supper. In Luke 22, he says this, after supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, and agreement confirmed with my blood. 
which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. And so what he's saying now is, look, here is the new covenant. Here is the new permanent sacrificial relationship that God is having with my people, and it will be confirmed by my blood. So now let's go back to see how Adam and Eve were formed. Adam was made from dust. Adam was put to sleep. God opened up Adam's side and removed a rib. What happens when you have an opening on your body? It bleeds. Now, the Bible doesn't exclusively describe that that is what happened. But I know when I open up my body, I cut my body, it bleeds, and then it covers it up. So when you look at the marriage covenant, it has been sealed, and it has been cut as a covenant with blood. You follow me? And so here's what we need to understand. Covenant relationship is a permanent sacrificial relationship. Um, but modern culture really views marriage as a contract. That's something we can break. And Jimmy Evans, who is an incredible speaker on this topic, he makes, makes this statement, the, these two statements. Um, because some of us, we may either be in or have been in or feel like we are not in a covenant marriage but maybe we are in a contract marriage. And if you're not married, let me implore you to not pursue a contract marriage because this is what a contract marriage is. A contract marriage says, I must protect my rights and limit my responsibilities. And so many times we go into relationships or marriages or maybe like, like, even when you go to buy a car or build a house and you sign a contract, in that contract, it is about how you can be protected, how the builder can be protected, and to remove any rights or responsibilities from that person. When we went a few weeks ago for a birthday party and played, like, did at, you don't play axe throwing. You do axe throwing, right? <laughs> you don't play around. You like, like you, you do. So, so we went and threw axes. And before I could throw the first axe, I had to sign a contract saying that they would not be held responsible for my stupidity, <laughs> right? And, and, and they are gonna protect all of their rights and they're not gonna take any responsibility for that. And some of us, even maybe right now, that is what our marriage looks like, that it is about what we can keep and about what we can get. But that's not what a covenant marriage is. A covenant marriage says this, is that I surrender my rights and I assume my responsibilities. A contract marriage says I must protect my rights and limit my responsibilities. But a covenant marriage says I surrender my what? And that I assume my what? Responsibilities. And so what you say in that marriage is what can I give and what can I do? What can I give and what can I do? And so for those of you who are single or dating or thinking about it, if, if, if the person you're pursuing is all about what you can do for them, you need to, you need to kick it in reverse and get out of there, right? If, if they are not about um, taking responsibility for that relationship and surrendering their rights, that's something that you're gonna fight the entirety of the relationship until God works on their heart. And so... When I perform marriages, we do um, the ceremony and, and we have the vows and it goes something like, do you promise to take so-and-so for better or for? For sickness and in? For rich or? 
joy and sadness, sorrow, good or bad. And so essentially what you're saying is I'm giving myself to you as a covenant relationship, that, that I am surrendering my rights to live and walk with you in every one of these seasons, and I'm assuming responsibilities to live and walk with you in every one of these seasons. And look, man, some of these seasons are like mountaintops, and some of them are like, it's like a valley under the valley. It's like you're in like the Great Barrier Reef. Like you're not only in a valley, but you're under like miles of ocean, and you can't breathe, right? We've all been there. And so I did some, some marital counseling like years ago and really had no business doing some marital counseling because I hadn't been married that long. And this was a couple about my age, but at that time they were, they were old. But looking back, they were my age. <laughs> and, so, uh, and they were newly married. They'd been married like two or three years and they were really having a hard time. It was his first marriage and it was her second marriage, but it had been a long time since that marriage. And so we're talking and, and we're like what was it that, that, that you loved about each other, trying just to, to re-spark something. And it's like, do you guys remember when you made your wedding vows? And, and we repeated all that. And then when you get to the end, um, it says, do you promise to love and to hold until death do us part or death do you part? And everyone says, I do. And so they were in their 40s um, and, and I reminded them of what that looked like. I was like, look, the average person is living like 85, like 80 to 85 years, and so you guys are 40, 45. So you've got like another 35, 40 years with each other. Their whole, like all the blood left their face. <laughs> like, like their whole body language is completely changed because we don't put like a covenant relationship is a permanent sacrificial relationship. Now look, guys, I know there is diversity in this room. And I know we're all coming from, from different um, backgrounds. I know we're coming from, from, from different um, things that we've been through. And there are concessions to that. God never wants you to be in an abusive, like physically abusive relationship. Um, maybe you've been abandoned. You can't control that. Maybe your spouse cheated and walked out on you and didn't want to reconcile. You can't control that. Okay, I'm not putting that on you. And a lot of us in this room have maybe not have had the examples in the past in our family of marriages that were sustainable and lasted. Jennifer and I, honestly, like we're, we're in like uncharted territory. Both of our parents divorced years before where we are right now for different reasons, and, and God has redeemed those moments. But, but we are in a season that we have not seen lived out. And many of you may be in that season that you have not seen lived out, and it can be a challenge. Can I get an amen? It can be a challenge to walk that out. Um, but Paul gives us this instruction. So Paul, Paul is incredible. He's the only guy that can speak to the singles from experience. And he said, look, I'm not saying this is a command from God because this is my life, but, but I'm saying this seems like good advice. Um, See singleness as a gift. But then in Ephesians, he paints a picture for those of us who are married um, on what our marriage should look like. And so we're gonna look in Ephesians chapter five, verses 21 through 23. Um, turn there while I get a drink. Ephesians chapter five, and it'll be on the screen as well. Um, and so he starts in verse 21. He says, and further... Submit to one another 
out of reverence to Christ and further. And so those two words, you're like, is that out of place? No, that's because what he's doing in this moment, and I want to encourage you, go back and read this. He is referencing the rest of Ephesians chapter 5 that is talking about living a spirit-filled life and living as a child in the light. And he's saying things like, do not be drunk with wine. Sing psalms, sing songs of worship. He talks about living a life that is in accordance with the Spirit of God and in accordance with being a child of God. And so then he comes down to Ephesians chapter 5 at the end, and he says, and furthermore. And so he says, in addition to all of this, but for those of us who are married, he says, to submit to one another out of reverence to Christ, or, or some translations say, submit to one another as you submit to Christ. And a lot of times when we're talking about submission within the family, we skip that line and we go right next, we go right to the next line where it says, wives, submit to your husbands, right? We want to skip that first part. And a lot of times the guys want to jump on the bandwagon and say, well, well, scripture says submit, submit to me. Only after it says you submit to each other just as you submit to Christ. You tracking with me? And so it says, submit to each other out of reverence. And so it says, for the wives, this means. So he paints a picture of what that looks like for you and I. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. And so Cliff notes on this, one-liner is saying, wives, as you trust Christ, trust your husband. Now, the caveat to that is your husband, guys, it comes back on us. We have to be following Christ that if our wives are going to trust us as they trust Christ, we also have to be trusting Christ. Paul says multiple times in Scripture, two or three times, he says, follow me as I follow Christ. He doesn't just say, follow me. And, and, and that's a heavy weight for me to think about as a pastor. Is like, look, I've got 100 plus people following me. When they get to the end of me, are they gonna get to Jesus? Or are they gonna be a carbon copy of me? When you're following someone, especially within the marriage, within the home, husbands, we have to be following Christ because our family is following us. And so he says, for wives, this means to submit to your husbands just as you submit to Christ. Now, verse 25, it says, for husbands, this means, so now it's our turn, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own body. Because remember, right? Go back to Genesis. The two are no longer two, but they are together in one. Right, So as husbands, when we are caring for our spouse, we're not just caring for our spouse, but now we are one, we're also caring for ourselves. He says that, that by showing his wife love, he is actually showing love for himself. Verse 29, no one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. So, so it's what he's saying, it's like, 
the church is able to submit and surrender to Christ because he has given his life for her. And so husbands, for us to have our wives submit and surrender to us as to Christ, we have to have done or do what Christ has already done. That we surrender our life. We give up, again, covenant relationship, a covenant marriage. I surrender my rights and assume all responsibilities. And so when we see this here in, in, in the scripture, and he goes on in verse 31, it says, as the scripture says, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into what? One. This is a great mystery, Paul says. But it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. And, 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 and here's the crazy thing of this when you think about it, all right? In Genesis, man and woman are created in whose image? God's image. So you and I, separate from one another, by ourselves, we are made in God's image. So, so when they see us, when they interact, when, when others interact with another believer, a, a, another follower of Christ, they should see um, characteristics of God's nature in our life. And then what Paul is now saying is that you take two who are created in God's image and you put them together, it is a completion of God's image. And is a completion of how Christ loves the church. And it, it, it is to take place within the home. It is the nucleus of God's ministry in this. All right, so let's, let's go on. So mutual submission, first to Christ and then to each other. Remember this, mutual submission, first to Christ and then to each other. And so what he's given us, guys, is he's saying for wives, give trust and respect. For wives, give trust and respect. For husbands, give um, love and give affection. For spouse, for wives, give trust and respect. For husbands, give your wife love and affection. Now, if you think about the last argument that you were in with your spouse, let's let's not reenact it here, okay? But but if you think about it, okay, there is something that we all do, and I'm the king of it at times. Is, is we will stonewall our spouse. Okay, we will, we will hold back. You know, you think silent treatment is just for teenagers? You're a grown man and you're giving your wife silent treatment, right? We've all done it. But here's what happens. Here's what happens. Is that, guys, when we're wounded, we withhold love and affection. Okay? When our wives are wounded, they withhold trust and respect. And then what happens to us? Well, I'm just gonna hold withhold love and affection. And so it makes this sick cycle, right? And, and like this isn't new information. A lot of this you can read it in, in a book called Love and Respect, <laughs> right? <laughs> this is, and like it's, the first half of the book is gold and he talks about this over and over and over. And when I have problems in our relationship and I see that in conversation, that's what's happening and that's why it doesn't end. Because at some point, someone has to make a, the decision that I'm going to, surrender my rights and assume responsibility and I'm going to give to you the love and affection or the trust and respect that you desire even though I may not receive anything in return. And that's when marriage gets hard 
Because in a contract marriage, if I'm not getting anything, I'm not giving anything. But in a covenant marriage, even though I'm not receiving anything, I'm still giving what I've been asked to give. And that's when it gets hard. That's the fine print that nobody tells you about, right? That's the fine print that you don't realize that, oh, okay, yeah, I, I have to stick into this. And so I'm gonna read these passages of scriptures again, but I'm gonna read it from the message paraphrase because I love the imagery that, that the writer writes. And I want you to listen. This is out of respect for Christ. Be courteously reverent to one another. Wives, understand and support your husbands. I get that can be difficult sometimes, right? Understand and support your husband in ways that show your support for Christ. The husband provides the leadership to his wife the way Christ does the church, not by domineering, but by cherishing. So just as the church submits to Christ, as he exercises such leadership, wives should likewise submit to their husbands. In verse 25, it says, husbands, this is what we do. Go all out in love for your wives. Exactly as Christ did for the church, it is a love marked by giving, not by getting. It's a covenant marriage, not a contract marriage. Christ's love makes the church whole. His words evoke her beauty. Everything he says and does is designed to bring out the best in her, dressing her in dazzling silk, radiant with holiness. And that's how husbands ought to love their wives. By doing this, they're really doing themselves a favor since they are already, what? One in marriage. No one abuses his own body, does he? No one feeds and pampers it. No, he feeds and pampers it. That's how Christ treats us, the church, since we are part of his body. And this is why a man leaves his father and mother and cherishes his wife. No longer two, they become one flesh. And Paul says, look, this is a huge mystery. I don't pretend to understand it, but this is where I want to land for today. What is clearest to me is the way Christ treats the church. What is clearest to me is the way Christ treats the church. I'll say it one more time. What is clearest to me is the way Christ treats the church. This provides a good picture of how each husband is to treat his wife, loving himself and loving her, and how each wife is to honor her husband. What is clearest to me, the clearest picture that you and I can see, because many of us, we didn't have that clear picture. We didn't have that role model. Or maybe right now we're living in a season to where we're not projecting or presenting what the ideal scriptural covenant marriage is to be. But Paul says, what is clearest to me is how Christ loves the church. And so I got to thinking about that even last night. Um, and, and, and I got to thinking about Jesus' last few moments before he was arrested. And he was in the garden with his disciples, and he goes into the garden, and he leaves some of them, and he goes in further to pray, and, and, and he's praying so profusely for, about, for what's about to happen that he's in tears, and he's bleeding, and, and he makes this statement. He says, not my will. God, if there's, if there's anything you can do to take this cup from me, and what he's saying, God, if, if, if you can relieve any of my responsibility from this so that I can keep my rights, do that. But he says, not my will, but yours be done. And I got to thinking, like, what if we had that attitude with our marriages? 
the same attitude that Christ had for the church because that wasn't an attitude just for the sacrifice he was about to make because it says for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. That was the attitude, that joy that was set before him was you and I. It was the church that would to be, the church that is to come. What if we got in the garden of our marriage and we came to a place and we say, God, things aren't, things aren't good right now. And I don't know everyone's story, but what if it was like, God, if there's anything you can do, like that we can just fix this, but not my will, your will. God, show me my responsibility in this. God, I'm surrendering my rights to do my part to, to paint this picture of what this relationship is supposed to be. And scripture says that when we do that, it's a marriage that's not only honored by God, but it's blessed by God. And it doesn't just have an effect on us, husband and wife. It has an effect on our kids. It has an effect on our grandkids. And it is setting um, foundational stones for your family. And some of us, like some of us, we didn't have that. And so for some of you guys, you're building that foundation. And it's even harder work. But let me encourage you, get in the garden of your marriage and say, Father, not, not my will, but, but your will be done. And I had this image once, and Zach, if you want to come, I had this image once that the first time I preached about marriage and I felt so unqualified for it is that, that when you come together as one, part of our responsibility to our spouse is that we walk and live in a way that, that as we walk together, that we are growing more and more and more like Christ. And so when you say, I do, and you join hands, and listen, look at me, and, and, and you join hands, and you began on this journey of life. Some of us started earlier. And like, I got married at 22, and I didn't realize how young 22 was until I just married a 22-year-old not too long ago. But we start early. Some of us start later in life. Some of us get to walk an entire lifetime, 60-plus years. Some of us may only get to walk 10 years. At some point, and what I mean by that is at some point, your spouse will take their last breath and they will stand before the one who created them. And part of your role and your responsibility while walking with them as husband and wife is to cherish them, to love them, to lead them in a way that's gonna make them more and more like Christ. At some point, you guys are gonna depart. And it needs to be our goal that we have done everything that we can in our time together. We've read the fine print. We've lived in a way that we've honored our spouse in a way that they are becoming more like Christ. And so I want to do this with every head bowed and eye closed. I just, I just want to pray for the, the marriages in this room. And some of you, you've been married a long time. For some of you, you're still five years in and you're newly wedding it. For some of you, you're on your third, fourth kid and you're like, is this roller coaster ever going to end? I need a break. But I want to encourage you today to remember that this is a covenant relationship. That is a lifetime commitment. And that God would give you the wisdom 
and the compassion that you need for this season to walk this out. So Father, I come to you this morning, God, and I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the institution of marriage and all the ups and downs. Thank you that you thought enough of us to give us a helper. God, it can be really, really hard sometimes. And there may be some in this room that are even thinking about just throwing in the towel because they don't know what to do, what direction to go to. And But Father, I just pray that even now they're, they're in their garden and they're saying, not my will, but yours. God, that you would open their hearts with compassion. God, that any roots of bitterness, any roots of anger would be eradicated. God, that you would draw them closer to you and then as they draw closer to you, they will draw closer to each other as, as they make you their first priority and come back to making their spouse their second priority above everything else. Father, I want to pray for those that are in this room that are maybe walking a single a, a season of singleness because of divorce or whatever that they're facing. God, that they would know that you are a God who redeems, that you are a God who restores, that you can take the broken pieces and put them back together or, or com create something completely new and beautiful. God, we believe in your truth that, that nothing is wasted and nothing is withheld. If you're sitting by your spouse, will you just grab their hands just for a moment? So, Father, we thank you for these two hearts, these two lives that you brought together as one. God, I just pray that they would be an illustration of your goodness. They don't have to be perfect. They don't have to have it all together. But God, I pray that they lean in on your strength and the work that you've already done. And Father, if there's anyone, just lastly, if there's anyone in here today that does not have a relationship with you, God, I pray that they know that that, that is the most important relationship beyond and above everything else. It is you and only you because you showed us what true love is. That one would give their life for someone else. That you showed the greatest extent of your love, God. That, that, that we didn't have, your word says that, that at just the right time, while we were still sinners, you showed the full extent of your love. We don't have to, to, to get ourselves ready. We don't have to clean ourselves up. We simply come to you as we are. And Father, there's anyone in this room today that needs a relationship with you. God, I pray that right where they're seated, they're saying, I'm sorry. They're saying, forgive me. They're saying, I trust you. They're saying, I give you my life. So Father, we thank you that that work is done. God, I seal the word that's been spoken today over our lives and over our marriages. In 
Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen. Come on, let's give God a hand clap this morning.